in this corner with the Brian Campbell. This is the professional wrestling edition. Now me, I am handsome Nick Costos, and I don't care if you're tired of hearing about it. I get dressed every day. I look at myself in the mirror, and I say, I look like a million bucks because my outfit costs about a million bucks. Today, I'm wearing a Hugo Boss button-down, $150. I've got on this beautiful Eton light blue, Carolina blue paisley tie, $250. Ferragamo brown shoes, $650. We got the Cole Haan socks at $50 a pop, and the Ferragamo belt at $400. I can't bother to count the price. Someone else do that for me. Tweet it to me. Tell me how expensive my outfit is. And the best part is, I don't even have my beautiful Carolina blue Ted Baker blazer on. But Silverstein saw it earlier and said, Handsome Nick, you look great. And I said, you're right. And the reason why I spend all this money on my clothing is because I am a petty, pathetic, insecure little man. You can follow me on Instagram at the Costos. Now, speaking of petty, pathetic, insecure little men, I am joined by my tag team partners. And you know what the deal is, everybody. When someone feels the need to always tell you how right they are, when they have to tweet you and say, hey, remember when I was right about this? Who's right more than I am? Chances are they're covering up for some crippling insecurity, like our guy, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, who you can follow on Instagram. What's your Instagram, Silver King? At Adam Silverstein. Because he is a petty, pathetic, insecure, soon-to-be little man. Hey, now. And as always, I am also joined by the man whose name is on the marquee. Come on. He is the icon. Let's go. He is the showstopper. Bring it. He is the main event. My man. He is the whole effing show. One time. He is the bod that runs the pod. Stay hyped. He is the mast. That guides the cast. Here we go. You know his name, damn it. He is the Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. BC, tell him what's on the podcast. Well, Nick, the listeners, do yourselves a favor this week and get some of this. We are back with another loaded show that is guaranteed to be money. You ain't talking money. What the hell you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, laugh it up, Enzo. As we look back at the week that was in WWE and answer your DM slides with a show that's overflowing with underjuice and guaranteed to leave you smiling, profiling, yes, and satisfying. I heard you laugh. I heard you get off on it, brother. It's a show, of course, that is brought to you and underwritten by the most powerful substance in all of professional wrestling. No, I'm not talking about IcoPro. It's that performance-enhancing audio. And before we start this show this week, let me remind you to do your part in this audio invasion by sending us a gift just in time for the holiday season. If you hear something today on the show that you like. If you see something, say something. Well, come on. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Take the 60 seconds to subscribe, rate, review, do us that solid. It's the least you can do. But for now, it's time to pass the microphone back to the only man on this podcast with his own stylist, his own hairdresser, and a libido so big it covers three separate counties in South Florida. He's the most passionate man in North America. Hello, ladies. Oh, yeah. Nasty Nick Costos. Shout out to Paul from the Nordstrom in Aventura, Florida. Shout out to Danny from the W Salon in Coral Springs, making me look good each and every day. Brian Campbell, you know how we do things, how we begin each and every week. We do so with the main event. This is the main event. 
Now, normally, you know, I like to ad lib on the spot and come up with my own stuff because, quite frankly, I look at myself in the mirror and I say, who's better than me? And the answer is nobody. But I am going to read what is written on the sheet for me because, damn it, I couldn't come up with something better if I tried. The first part of our double main event. I don't know who wrote this, but kudos to you. It was Brian Campbell, of course, the man whose name is on the marquee. It's true. In fact, it's damn true. Jason Jordan has it. It. And on Monday night, Raw was Jordan Brian Campbell. Nick, what am I going to do? What am I going to say other than I know you're not the type of guy, right? You're not the kind of guys to say we told you so, but we told you so. And the we part is both you and the Silver King who have preached this man's name, his accompaniments with the word it, that he is on the road to superstardom. Now, I wasn't against you guys. I just said, hey, pump the brakes, slow the wheels a little bit. He's been doing good work. I've essentially said he's been doing good work as a supporting actor, as they've built him in to the, let's say, the the storyline and theme each episode that had been consistently broken up throughout the whole show. This week, though, I got to give it to you. He became a leading man this week. I thought maybe when Silver King said it was a star-making performance a few weeks ago, I wasn't fully sold. This was my version of a star-making performance for Jason Jordan where 47 consecutive minutes to open the show, he was the guy. And they didn't – and you talk about – the improvements he's making each week as they continue to hand him the ball. They put him in spots where if he didn't have it, I got to give you this credit, he would have failed because they put him in there with Roman Reigns. And that, while Roman obviously is so good, he could lift up guys to a certain degree. Jason Jordan had to be that good in the ring to put forth the kind of 20-plus minute match that they had. And he had to be that good on the microphone to so brilliantly pull off this whiny, baby-faced character who's using the connections with his dad that I just got to stop and say, you was right. Because this guy really is that future star in the making. And the last two hours of the show, while it didn't go in a bad direction, and in fact, you can make the case, this is one of the better Raws of this calendar year. Yes, I mean that. This show was never as good as it was over the second half as it was that first hour. I left wanting more of JJ. I'm sorry, that's where I'm at. Brian Campbell, I want you to say it. I want you to admit it. Say it for us, brother. What does Jason Jordan have? Say it in complete sentence form. It. Uh, Jason Jordan has it, but I don't it? want you yes. to try there to... You- to try to extend yourself, to try to pitch a tent, oh, if you extended. will, and connect uh, uh, the tent is pitched. and make a leap to the next subject, which is he has it and Finn doesn't. Don't try to do something like that. I will just say that, yes, you were right. He has it. And I am right about that. And I was always going to be right about it. And by the way, Finn Balor doesn't have it. But that's a story for another time. We can get into that over the course of the show. We're going to get into Roman Reigns and his involvement in this in this angle on Monday night and his continued run as a babyface with the Intercontinental Championship. But let's focus on Jason Jordan. And I got a couple things I'd like to unpack, peel off the old onion and cry tears of joy because Jason Jordan's got it. Let's start off with his microphone work, which I would describe as nothing short of stellar. Most notably, not in the promo pre-match where he demanded a match against Roman Reigns, but after the match against Reigns where he demanded a shot the same night 
against Samoa Joe. He is so unbelievably whiny and annoying, and he's playing the role to perfection. And did you notice the most important thing that Jason Jordan said, the one word that was the most important word that he uttered in another star-making performance on Monday night was when he called Kurt Angle dad. When he said, dad, please, I need this shot. He was appealing to Kurt Angle in a way that made everyone's stomach turn that was watching at home and everyone's stomach turn that was in the arena. Because what that is, the role that he is portraying, what pro wrestling is, is this elaborate ruse designed to make you react in a certain way. And what Jason Jordan became in that moment was the kid that everyone grew up with, yeah. that had everything handed to them, even though they didn't deserve it. We all know someone like that. We probably know several people, multiple people like that over the course of our lives and we don't like that person because that person got it when they didn't deserve it while the rest of us have got to work our asses off for it and that's Jason Jordan and where Kurt Angle's also playing this brilliantly is where Angle goes, goes no like what are you kidding like you're going to ask me for something else now everyone's going to know that you're taking advantage of me and then Jordan like the spoiled obnoxious child drops the dad line and Angle goes you know what I'm going to take it under advisement it's going to really piss people off. It's brilliant. They're playing us like a fiddle, and I absolutely love it. And I ain't talking your regular run-of-the-mill $2 fiddle that you pick up at Dollar General. I'm talking about a damn Stradivarius. That's the kind <laughs> of fiddle that I'm talking about, Silver King and Brian Campbell. Wow. Uh, yeah, wow. Um, he's you, you really nailed it there. He is the, you know, you're playing Little League, and the coach's son is either first base or pitcher, and he should be in the right field. Like, that, that's what he is. Except the difference here is Jason Jordan actually should be the pitcher. That's right. He should be batting clean. That's why it's brilliant. And, and that's why it's so good. I, I, listen, you're right. I'm not going to go over what he did on the mic because you, you both basically nailed it. He is so damn good in the ring. Yes. We need to talk about how he sold the knee injury. And now he's been selling it for three weeks now. But he sold it throughout the match. He never forgot. And wrestlers forget. You know, in the middle of the match, you're selling a knee. You start running rope to rope, and, and it's like, how did he do that all of a sudden? He didn't forget in those moments. He also didn't forget when he hit the Northern Lights. Then he did the second Northern Lights, and he tried to pin Reigns, and he's favoring his left leg up in the air. He's not getting the full pin on him. Fantastic. And then even after that, when Samoa Joe attacked, and they went into that whole segment, after he fought Joe off, he's holding onto the ropes, you know, making sure his knee's not touching the ground. It was brilliant. He's being coached up extremely well. I'm not sure who's doing it. I'd be very curious to learn. Jason Jordan is a star now. He's going to be a legitimate superstar, and he is a future champion, maybe world champion. No, there's no question about it. And he's one of these guys who has kind of come the long way to get to this point. Like, he didn't necessarily show this in NXT, right? Where a lot of times it's yeah. the opposite. Guys are so great in NXT, and then we're like, why can't they be in the right type of storyline on the main roster to show that? This is almost in reverse. Like, yeah, he was pretty good, especially when he was teamed with Gable. Yes, we started to see that in-ring. He can really do some stuff. But he had he was out in the desert for a while in NXT before that, trying to find the right gimmick, the right personality, the right partner. And certainly during that entire American Alpha run, he just wasn't given the reps for us to believe that he could talk on this level. And that, like you guys kind of nailed it. That talk against Roman Reigns before the match even happened, that one-on-one -on, -one on the mic, was the best part of the entire show. 
and it's set up you know, we think he's going to go heel. We think a lot of things are going to happen. And they're just properly teasing it's that. They're putting everything they have to, all the ingredients into this mix to, to, to really get the pot boiling and get you excited. I mean, you guys got to admit, when he delivered that suplex on Roman Reigns and sort of crossed him, it's a feel spot moment. It was like, hell yeah. And, you know, he kind of did the same thing when he when he ran back afterwards and was like, Dad, I, now I need a piece of Samoa Joe. It's like he is playing that that character so well that, yes, two weeks ago on the show, Nick, I asked you, are we sure that he's actually playing that character so well? Or is he just annoying that he's coming across as annoying, that he's getting the booze because he's annoying? And, no, it turns out, no, this guy is being given a shot that you could argue he didn't earn or deserve Outside of the storyline, right? You can argue, yeah, he'd been a tag team champ with American Alpha, but why separate this guy? Why put him in there with Angle and this type of storyline? Why put him in the ring with Reigns? But don't you love to see when somebody takes the ball and elevates what you think they can do? Because how often is it the opposite? And while, yes, Jinder maxed himself out for what we had expectations of him, Jinder overall was kind of a failure as the champion because he wasn't believable as a champion. He gave you the best version of Jinder Mahal you've ever seen, but it still wasn't good enough to be a champion. This shows you, you take somebody like Jason Jordan, ceiling-wise, we don't know where that ceiling is, and that's why it's exciting right now. And look, and, and wrestling, and I've said this before, when wrestling is is right, when wrestling is wrestling, it's Shakespeare. This is Shakespeare right now, what they're doing. And I don't want to discount the involvement of Roman Reigns in making this work on Monday night, because Reigns has been superb in this role as babyface, and he continues to get the babyface reaction. I don't like... I love Roman Reigns as the Intercontinental Champion. And here's like the brilliance wrapped in brilliance, layered with more brilliance, and topped with brilliance, sprinkled with brilliance, is he gave you that moment, Bri, when Jason Jordan gave him the overhead suplex because Jordan played the feelings that the crowd has had against Roman Reigns against the crowd. So you've got Jordan evoking two different reactions simultaneously. And look, it's not just Jordan that's going out there and creating this. Like, it's brilliant booking that's been laid out. And let's give credit to creative and Vince McMahon and Triple H and whomever's been involved in this because when this was first revealed, like the Kurt Angle, remember they had that storyline for what, four to six weeks? Like, what's the, the bombshell that Kurt Angle's gonna drop? And it's Jason Jordan's his son. And we're all like, what? Like, is this gonna be good? And I remember saying like, I will have an open mind here. Let's see how it plays out. They are absolutely crushing this. Like they are delivering this on an unbelievable scale. And let's give some credit as Silver King brilliantly did. And you brilliantly did, Bri. The Northern Light suplex that he rolled into a second Northern Light suplex was so freaking good. And you get the sense that that could be this guy's trademark, right? Like it might not be his finisher, but in the way that Bret Hart had the five moves of doom and Austin had the elbow off the second rope and Michaels had the top rope elbow leading into the sweet chin music onward and et cetera. The three, rock, yeah, Eddie Guerrero's three amigos. The three amigos, the yeah. rock with his spine buster leading into the people's elbow. This could be Jason Jordan's defining spot. Maybe not his finisher outright, but his defining spot. And I just cannot be more impressed. And Samoa Joe also, Bri, like I think he also deserves credit because um, he's just so freaking good. And the ambush on Jordan in the locker room, and he gets and stands over him and then goes to Angle, like father, like son. And you get the audible gasp from the crowd. I thought Raw was really, really freaking good, Brian. It Monday. was, and it was, you know, it was underwritten, like I like to say a lot, by everything that Jason did in the first hour. And, to, and for them to yeah. have the confidence in him to give him Samoa Joe, to give him Roman Reigns, and for him to look so believable, like something we're going to talk about later in this episode and that I've said last week is the problem with the SmackDown women's invasion from NXT is not just that it's a duplicate of, of Raw, right? It's that I don't believe 
in Ruby Riot and uh, and uh, the what is the the smaller girl with the blonde hair? Live, live more. You know what's great about this? I was actually, as you were saying this, writing it down to make sure that I didn't forget because I don't remember their names. Either. I'm. It's just not believable to watch them take out well-established, high-level female stars on SmackDown. But you know what was believable? When Jason Jordan picked up Roman Reigns four times and ran him into each corner, and it's not just because of his, you know, his build. It's because. They've they've played every note perfectly, Nick. And man, do we hammer them when they don't, right? When when the song remains the same and it's stale, and we're sick of it. And by the way, this week on SmackDown, it was stale, and I was sick of it. But Raw was red friggin' hot because they played those notes, and Raw was Jordan. I mean, he went one full hour. Let's see how far he can go. Well, just like you said, juxtapose this with what they did with Jinder Mahal. They took Jinder and they said, "Okay, you're number one contender." You're a main eventer. We're rushing you, even though you are not anywhere close to ready. They took Jason Jordan, who's probably more polished, at least in the ring, than Jinder Mahal was at the time. And they've slow close. Yeah, not even close. And they've slow played it now for what, three months, four months. And now we've gotten to this point where Jordan's had the ability to learn how to be good on the mic, learn how to work in a backstage segment, and learn how to work at a high rate with the top stars in WWE. And now the climax of it all is this guy who's been built into a future main eventer and a current, you might as well call him a top-level mid-carder right now because he is, that's the program he's in, in WWE. Everything that they did wrong with Jinder Mahal, they're doing right with Jason Jordan. And I think, like you said, it's credit to what's going on on Raw because I'll tell you, there was a while last year where we were all singing the praises of SmackDown. SmackDown so much better than Raw, so much better. And guess what? Right now, SmackDown sucks, and Raw is awesome. Yeah, SmackDown was was not good this week. We're going to get to that in a second. But I will say, I watched Raw on DVR. I only fast-forwarded through two segments this week, and one of which I actually stopped and went back to. That would be the Cruiserweight segment. Yeah. I actually went back and watched the uh, the Enzo um, Nia Jax thing, which was hilarious. Um, we'll get into that a little later. Wait, you, you know you what else I fast-forwarded through? Do you fast-forward Cruiserweights? I watched. I watched like the ending of the last couple minutes of the actual match. Oh, this this was, was cruiserweights were back this week. I you know we I didn't work that into the show. But by the way, they let cruiserweights actually be cruiserweights this week. So shout out to to Raw for you know, doing that. And, and, and this is a fair point, And I bang on them too much here when it's deserved. Um, it, that was an undeserved shot. So I think that you're right about that. And you know what else? I fast forwarded through Finn Balor and Bo Dallas because you know who doesn't for me doesn't do it for me. Finn Balor. And by the Second way, we just talked about. How how much how good material that I, Jason I, Jordan? I, I, by the way, to escape. There. Yeah, you can't. I, try, I tried to escape from that. It's the next thing, Brian. No, it didn't have. I cut you right off. I'm just going to say, you know, we love Jason Jordan. What he's doing right now, he's also getting Roman Reigns and 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 Samoa Joe and Kurt Angle around him, and just beautifully detailed booking and creative. Finn Balor just got Bo Dallas and basically a make good squash match. So yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. But that's you right. know what? And, and we'll, we'll I'm going to talk about it later. That might be the start of something, maybe potentially. But before we move off of Raw, because I'm looking at the rundown, we don't necessarily cover this. So we had Samoa Joe, we had Roman Reigns. So now the Silver King sometimes goes off script here and tries to host no, the show, is, so this had better be a good point that Silver King's making it's here. It's not a point. It's, it's, not even, it's not even a point. It's a topic, because Raw closed, in my opinion, extremely hot. We got a, a three-hour Raw show yes. that I believe had fewer segments in it than the two-hour SmackDown the following night. Why is that? Because we had three three-segment matches all of which were extremely good quality. All the backstage and in-ring segments were good. So I want to know what you guys think of how they actually closed the show, because we can't let that just go by. 
the tag team match, the the run-in, the no DQ, etc. BC, did that play out well for you? It did, and it had all the makings to be convoluted and, and unnecessary with the stoppage of the match, with more run-ins, and it was just one of those things where it they, they, they walked the tightrope so perfectly, it was so damn entertaining, and they made, that match was kind of an example of all the other ones. They made every match feel like it mattered, and for a main event to end with not much actually that happened, right? The bar came away with the belts after sort of a, a pump fake early with the DQ. They left me really excited to see what happens next with Reigns, Joe, and, and where we're going with the with the greater shield sort of feud here. All right, Silver King didn't completely fall over himself there with, with that. So that, that was not bad. Um, Raw was fantastic. The main event was great. Um, a fantastically wrestled match. Um, I thought it was the right result with the bar going over. I do think Ambrose and Rollins will get those tag belts back um, at some point. I would say that the only thing about Raw that I didn't like and was sort of grouped with something that I did like. Um, so I've been saying for a couple of weeks now, you know what we want to see Braun Strowman do? Beat people up. In, in really effective fashion, in just really quick beatdowns, get the crowd energized. He did that to Elias, and I thought it was terrific. And by the way, Elias is terrific, and he is a heat magnet. That really worked for me until the lights went dark and Glenn Jacobs appeared on the Titan Tron. That's gotta be, that's gotta be Kane! That's right, gotta guys. be Kane! Are you guys excited for another Kane Braun Strowman main event next week on Raw? God willing, this is the end of it, and Strowman squashes him, and we don't have to see Kane anymore. Please let that happen. Okay. Well, so- they, they, to support that, there's it's like six months before the next Raw pay-per-view, so either this is going to end it, or this is just the beginning, Nick. <laughs> this, is, this is just the beginning. I might have to beg off this podcast for a couple weeks. Silver King can host it. All right, so Raw was awesome. SmackDown. Was not. Was not. Silvercase <laughs> trying to finish my sentences for me. Um, so we, we'll dig into some of the minutiae in SmackDown. It was a very, very poor episode. I completely agree. And I watch on DVR, and I still didn't like it. Um, so the Daniel Bryan-Shane McMahon rift continues to be teased. Um, so the main event coming up of the SmackDown pay-per-view Clash of Champions. I, I know it's Jinder, AJ is the title match, but I think what's going to go on last is Owens and Zayn against Orton and Nakamura. Shane announces he's a special referee, and if uh, Owens and Zayn lose, he's going to fire him, and it ends, the show does, with Brian staring at Shane as Shane walks away, leading me to believe, and I'm not, this is not an original thought, I think a lot of people think this, that Daniel Bryan will be turning heel on Shane McMahon, joining Owens and Zayn, and if that happens, it'll be great, but for now, the show is awful. I mean, you know, for the first hour and 58 minutes, it was basically like, I'm bored, brother. And then with two minutes to go, they gave you enough of a tease to somehow, somehow make it all make sense. To, but not really, but kind of somehow. It's just, it was just bad psychology. It was just formulaic for the two hours of SmackDown. There was just a lot of moments where you're like, really? What? And I got to be honest with you. The idea of KO and Sammy, which was hot three weeks ago, is now just sort of like, yeah, okay, you're going to handcuff KO to the ropes. Well, guess what? I'm going to predict what's going to happen here. It's so obvious. And as much as we love Randy Orton as a legend, and as much as we love certain parts about Nakamura, the idea of either of them running in to save somebody doesn't really move me, nor does the idea of them in a non-title situation having some pay-per-view grudge match against KO and Sami Zayn. So that's why for an hour 58, as you can see all this coming in front of you, I don't care. I'm going to be really honest. I don't care. And we're really on like a couple months now. And you, if you want to, you can trace it back to the beginning of Jinder winning the belt of SmackDown being an I don't care show. I mean, it's not always awful. It's not always... But it's it's just kind of sometimes worse than that because the crap we can make fun of it on this show. The kind of vanilla formulaic booking is sort of like wah. But 
let me just go back to that original point. The final two minutes when the Shane-Daniel Bryan thing happened, and credit to Daniel Bryan, who at times can really win it, right, when it comes to acting, when it comes to delivering. He's terrific. His just facial expression at the end told a lot, right? Like, we're the ones filling the blank here, just on his facial uh, interaction here. And it's really got me thinking. I mean, him turning heel is obviously a juicy storyline if that's where we're headed. Him returning to the ring, potentially, against Shane or Miz or whatever is even juicy. But bonus DM slide time, Nick, that I'm going to throw this question to you from a guy who hits us up a lot, Brian Owens at Owens11B. He says, is there any chance we see Shane swerve everyone and turn heel by assisting KO and Sammy at the Clash? I feel like they want everyone to feel like it's going to be Daniel Bryan, but this would be something that they could be cool. It could be their own authority angle, but with people we like. Nick- I-, I think that would be awesome, actually. And I think that because here's the thing about Daniel Bryan turning heel. Like as much as it's like a cool idea on paper. He's such a natural baby face and the crowd loves him so much and he would be so much better in that role as the baby face fighting the authority as he once did than he would be as the heel in the authority. I'm kind of upset that I wish that kind of we had honestly like behind the scenes like taken that DM slide, not brought it on the air and then I could have stolen the idea and taken it for myself. But so 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 BC you saved Brian Owens there Brian, great idea by you. I would actually like like his idea better than the Daniel Bryan idea to be to be totally honest. You know cuz cuz guys got on the air, Shane McMahon's kind of a dirt hole, right? And he's kind of acting like an authoritative dirt hole who thinks he's doing what's right by saying, and "Oh, he's nonsensical." Correct. Exactly. That's where, like, he's being like, a McMahon. <laughs> with him because he's irrational correct but at least like stephanie like you can get on like like you don't like her character or whatever she actually normally operates her character does within like a rational realm of how you'd expect her to think the way that shane is acting now is irrational like he's acting irrationally as a character i'm not saying as a human being like he's playing a character on television so he's acting irrationally Um, no he's an irrational human being nick he jumps off of cages in (laughs) storyline situations where it really doesn't make a lot of sense right i mean he's pretty irrational um, as it concerns the Orton Nakamura part of this, um, this is where I'm going to have a real, real problem. How do you have this angle being built and you don't give Randy Orton one second on the microphone to sort of explain his motives, why he would be motivated to fight these guys, other than the fact that they've been having matches? And correct me if I'm wrong, when was the last promo that Randy Orton cut on SmackDown? When he came out and Gender. actually like... It was gender, right? Yeah. It's, been, it's been a couple of months, I feel like. Nakamura doesn't cut promos because he can't speak the language. Well, that's a story for another time. So, like, there's no motivation behind this. But, it's, but that's the key. He's not talking about it because there is no motivation. It's nonsensical. But, like, give us some motivation here. Like, why Like, like, why is Randy, why are Orton and Nakamura teaming to face these guys? What is the motivation behind it? Like, I don't understand. They're not doing a good enough job explaining the, it. There isn't any. The storylines are terrible. And all SmackDown accomplished on Tuesday was making a total mess of the Clash of Champions pay-per-view card, which I know we're going to discuss later. They're ruining the card. That was pretty decent. They didn't have the main eventers on the show. AJ Styles, Jinder Mahal, not there. The Usos, not there. It's Clash of Champions. Two champions of three. Not on SmackDown two weeks before the pay-per-view. And they're giving us a main event for this this pay-per-view that's not going to be a championship match that includes, as Nick just said, a team that has no relevance in the storyline Against And the main storyline of the entire show is two people who are not wrestlers right now. Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan are not wrestlers, so nothing that they're arguing about is happening inside of the ring. Nothing is working. And did you notice, by the way, when Nakamura came in and hit them with the Kinshasa or whatever the hell happened, and Orton looks at Nakamura and Mal's, you like, look, we're going to do this, you're going to be my partner, and Nakamura shakes his hand, like, I mean, really? Like, this is, guys, 
this is the best that you could come up with. Like, I know, with really all that talent like, on the board. And by the way, did, to their— This is what you came up with. The if argument for them— shave his head again, he looks ridiculous. <laughs> and the argument for them might be, well, listen to the crowd. Because to be honest, the crowd was hot when Shinsuke yeah. came through, when Randy was doing it. But uh, maybe we're just beating down Smart Marks and we're— But I feel like Smart Marks are a larger voice of the actual wrestling population than kids who don't know better or people that are there because they got free tickets and they're cheering loud, right? Like, the, I mean, we're the ones who purchase things for WWE, this this fan base, this group of actually educated fans. Like, make those people happy. We're not asking for, you know, caviar right here. We're just asking that you, you spice the food up a little bit. Like, like, SmackDown was bad to the point that, in my opinion, the best part of the show was the Bludgeon Brothers. I actually liked them. I thought the show was awful outside of that. I mean, it was awful from start to finish almost. I mean, it's hard to find any bright spot. I mean, I like Dolph Ziggler, so I liked Ziggler. I think that Bobby Roode is not good as a face. Baron Corbin's blah as a heel, like that sort of blah. I just, it, it, it did well, not. Well, I mean, it, it didn't help that AJ wasn't there, but there is a larger discussion here, which some people tease at times, you know, is Vince, once again, when he shook up the roster after Mania, making sure he has the people on Raw that he prefers to work with, that he knows are more entertaining overall? Smack, the, the, there's no question that the Raw roster is significantly better than the SmackDown roster. It's not even close. And this week, the show was better also. Um, so, yeah, it's and, just not good. And before the shakeup, the thought was, hey, during that first draft, they gave Raw way too much talent. But SmackDown was pretty loaded, and they were winning the at least critical battle in our eyes. They were doing a great job. And what did they do with the shakeup? They took all of those pieces that were really, really working, moved them off SmackDown onto Raw, and, and then they said, here's New Day in Charlotte. You'll be fine. Not good. Not good from SmackDown. Good stuff from Raw. And that closes out the main event portion of the show, Brian Campbell, which means it's time to move on to Hero. How about Brian Campbell with the itchy trigger finger there, Brian? I, I didn't throw it yet, and you hit, the, you hit the button. Like, no one hand this guy a gun. I mean, we'll all be in trouble, Brian Campbell, man whose name is in the marquee. Can't let handsome Nick Custos finish his tees for the hero or zero to the Silver King. Lightning round edition, number one. Guys, Matt Hardy is Woken. It's happening. He, uh, The Woken version of Matt Hardy made his Raw debut official on Monday. Appears headed toward a feud with Bray Wyatt, who he sentenced to deletion. A little extra background here, guys. The YouTube video of this segment, 1.3 million views in 24 hours, was one of YouTube's top 10 trending videos. The fans on TV went crazy, if you could hear it in the background. BC, tell me, hero or zero for Woken, Matt Hardy. So this is obviously a hero, and I but let me put that right out in the forefront before I say anything else. This is a massive hero. This is what we wanted, and for the most part, Hardy delivered in in the his half of the alternating dueling promos that they had. But in my Raw recap this week, I did put on the brakes in caution because I didn't love this segment overall. And the problem for me, longtime Bray Wyatt protector, the guy standing on the corner waving the sign saying the sky is falling, why aren't you booking this guy correctly, is now so beaten down. Down, Nick, that I'm scared that Bray Wyatt connected with this is going to water down and ruin the potential impact of Woken Matt Hardy. And I don't say that now to complain. I'm not what I'm not saying is let's not even go down the Woken road because if if he doesn't get full freedom, it's not going to be good. I'm not saying that. But Nick, am I on to anything in this regard? Maybe it's better to kick off Woken Matt Hardy 
against a non devilish supernatural type of opponent so the weird stuff that hardy does will be the focus rather than taking a weird character throwing him in there with a weirder nonsensical character and making a a big 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 giant bowl of crap stew i have some fears about where this could go I have a question before I give my answer to this. Like, are you doing the show from like a, like a campfire, like like in the dark, like like like? He's people, hanging out with Kane. It's, he's, it's he's an audio medium right now. Brian, are you doing the show in the dark right now? It looks like it looks like. Remember the Nickelodeon show? Are you afraid of the dark? Like, it looks like you're sitting around the campfire right is now. Is that like, a what, lava? Like, is that a lava rock? What is that? Yeah, like, that what, is. What is. That's what I'm illuminating. Right that's what I'm illuminating the room right now. This is uh, this is you know my own prayer shack that uh, Randy Orton has not burned down right now. Uh, yeah, so this is yeah, this is very strange. Um, I'm actually going to go the uh, 180, Bri, with what you just said, because to me, the fact that this was um, juxtaposed with Bray, what Matt Hardy did, didn't hurt Matt Hardy. I feel like it made Bray Wyatt look completely ridiculous. Yes. Because, because what was it? It was about two minutes and 40 seconds long. I know because I watched it like four times. I was laughing my ass off the entire time. When Matt Hardy would finish talking and Bray would start talking, the only thing that I'm thinking of is when's Matt Hardy going to start talking again? Like, get Bray Wyatt off my screen because Bray is the same tired crap over and over and over again. And Matt Hardy is entertaining. He's funny. Like, he's freaking hilarious with the things that he says and his facial expressions and everything. Like, like this is, it's a home run character. Like, what he goes, because of my position or whatever it was. Like, the way that my he condition. talks. Like, like, it's his condition. And before he's, you finish, anybody that wants to hear full-on Matt Hardy, listen to the Jim Ross podcast he did a year ago in full character. The whole hour, it's incredible. He's, he's so freaking funny. And the crowd really reacted to it. And, like, Bray... I just don't think that I, – I think that Bray will always have a job in WWE. But, like, I'm going to call it right now. It's over. Like, and I, I, I guess I, you could have made this call six months ago too. Bray Wyatt's never going to be over the way that people thought he was going to be. Like, it's done. His character is stale. It's – the ceiling has been reached. He ain't breaking through it. And he shouldn't break through it because it's stale, like I said. And part of that has to do with him and bad booking, whatever. Matt Hardy is so fresh, so clean. Ain't nobody dope as him. He is so fresh and clean. He's so fresh and so clean. He's clean. tremendous. And I, again, laughed my freaking ass off. I want more Woken Matt Hardy. And look, more there's a stain. Bray, and wait till th- Brother Nero comes back. Oh, that's going to be – if they – okay, that's, and that's what it comes down to here, Nick. Not not to turn this into a, a main event topic, but if they're allowed a, a the amount of freedom that they're going to need to make this be what it was in TNA Impact Wrestling in 2016 when it was really the freshest new character and angle wrestling had seen in a few years. All of wrestling, I'm saying. Like, it's that good when he gets going. Hopefully, he'll get that freedom, and hopefully then – and I can't believe I'm saying this out loud – he'll be allowed to just squash Bray and yes, just correct. destroy 100%. him. Yes, correct. 100%. He has to beat Bray. Because no there's doubt. a stain on Bray from the Orton feud. Bray then stained Finn Balor. Really, anyone who's been in there with Bray lately, there's been a giant stain. And We're I just, just don't want... Because you know why this is my fear? Not because I'm so protective of what Matt did in TNA. I am to a degree. But my biggest fear is that Vince will tire on this. If he yeah. goes in there with Bray and doesn't do the full-on broken, woken character, doesn't get to that level, then Vince goes, you know what? Fans aren't really loving this. Let's pull him and let's turn him back into the Matt Hardy that I created that I know sells a certain level of tickets and t-shirts. Whereas, obviously, we know if they let him be woken and broken and and bring in Senor Benjamin and bring in the Lake of Reincarnation and actually shoot stuff from the Hardy compound, 
We got big business in front of them. Us, a lot of merch is going to be sold. This is going to be wild. Do you know what they have to do, honestly? Because if, if they're going to do this right, he needs to be a focal point of the show. They need to move him to SmackDown. Yeah, you're brilliant. And it's like you said, it's got to be the main angle almost because he can't be the. Yeah, you're right. It can't be a mid card guy like this. You can't. You got because look, I I love talking about the revolution. If broken Matt Hardy was a free agent right now, he could be a monster player in the revolution, whether it was Ring of Honor or New Japan signing him and rolling out the red carpet for him. You laugh at that, but guess what? It's just I funny am. that this is where you always yeah, Guess what people did in 2016? They watched something they didn't normally watch. TNA Impact Wrestling every week because of Broken Matt Hardy. This is, and Silver can give you a second here, but this is, he needs Jeff, and here's why. Because for as brilliant as Matt is on the mic and as charismatic as he is, he's not as good in the ring, not even close to being as good as Jeff is. So I'd almost like to see Matt as, not like, the mouthpiece, meaning like he never wrestles, but like he needs Jeff to be there, stand by his side, say something every once in a while as brother Nero, and then go out there and put on a four-star match. And the, and these two need to be on SmackDown, not on Raw, because they need to be a focal point of the show. And, and they're not going to be that on Raw. If he could do the Meek Mahan thing that he does and actually have on-screen time against Vince, right? Like, this can be absolutely incredible if he starts doing the spot monkey thing, calling out anybody who sacrifices their body like Brother Nero did. I mean, there's so much potential here. It's, it's so funny. I'm going to pull a handsome Nick here. Guys, stop worrying about the future. Let's live in the present here and enjoy what we're seeing I and it. not be so concerned about what's going to happen. So far, so good, and let's move on because to the other. This guy, the voice of... This guy, Russian uh, comrade here, the voice of reason. We don't boo you because you support Russia. We boo you because you're both a couple of world-class international a-holes. So that's what The Rocks thinks about you and your uh, Russian connections there. Moving on. Very good. So Dolph Ziggler, he was on the Edge and Christian podcast, and he was pretty open and honest. He said he's, quote, he's sick of being, quote, a gatekeeper to the guys from NXT coming up, and that, quote, wins and losses don't matter anymore in WWE unless you're the guy who loses every single night, which he obviously is. He's on the verge of deciding, quote, if I need to go away and do my own thing or if I need to find a different role here. Well, just a couple days later, Dolph, he's in the triple threat match, the United States title at Clash of Champions. He stood tall over both Baron Corbin and Bobby Roode on SmackDown Live. And guys, I wrote in my SmackDown recap on CBSSports.com, which you can read. I think he's getting a potential push. Nick, here are zero. And the whole thing feels like a work to me with the Edge and Christian podcast. And look, Edge and Christian obviously still have connections with WWE. Um, so I, it feels like this was kind of planned a little bit, maybe like planting the seed to the smarks on the internet. I, I don't think that like this is how Vince operates. And I don't mean to say like I have inside information because I don't. Like, and that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm an observer who's who's been watching it forever. This is just my thought. Um, I don't think Vince would be like, oh, like someone would come to Vince and be like, oh, you know, Dolph was on with Edge and Christian and said he might leave. And Vince is like, oh, let's put him in the U.S. title match <laughs> right. to placate him. Right. Like, there's no chance that's true. That's why it kind of feels like a work to me. And if Dolph Ziggler is going to get a push, man, I'm all for it. Because remember, like, when they did the thing with his entrances a couple months ago, and then he fell off the face of the frickin' earth because they dropped him out to Bobby Roode. Like, give this guy a push. Like, if this is going to be the beginning of Dolph Ziggler getting more screen time on SmackDown Live, it's a hero for me and can't be anything but. Today, Junior? That was worse than the Today, Junior. Jeez. 
look, I think this is a massive hero to the idea of him speaking out. And I don't think this is a work at all. I think we saw that in the UFC for any crossover MMA fans here where everyone was afraid to speak out for years against the pay, against accepting fights when they're injured. And in the past year, you have all these fighters banding together and standing up for themselves. I felt like Ziggler going public here was him standing up for himself. And I do kind of feel like this was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to for them to remind him. And I think this is something that's been going on for a while. Do you remember the, ret- the great retirement angle ahead of that TLC match a year ago in December against The Miz? I felt like there was something real at the time involved in that. And if you really listen deep on that Edge and Christian interview with Ziggler, he said a few times over the years he's been on the verge of either leaving or telling them I need significant time off because he's so frustrated with his lot in the company. So it makes me believe he's been close a few times. And I don't know if you guys remember that one time they allowed Shinsuke Nakamura on Talking Smack in July of this past year. And do you remember he's randomly in broken English was talking about how much he loves Ziggler as a wrestler and said, quote, he's such a good wrestler. If he go to Japan, probably soon. And then Renee Young was so like, she doesn't know what to do with that comment. She's like, oh, breaking news. And then they canceled Talking Smack like two months <laughs> later. I don't know, guys. All I'm going to say is this, Dolph Ziggler. You are still so good. I mean, you above everyone else have. I mean, seriously, not just the look, the wrestling ability, the ability to talk. But man, is he getting crap booking. Hey, Dolph, something's happening right now in the world of professional wrestling. It's oh, called what's the, that, Bri? It, oh, it's called the revolution. Dolph, like I invite you. No, no, because it's great. I personally, <laughs> Dolph, invite you to join what's going on, to join the Rebel Alliance and to fight for your own career because you know how good you still are and you're sick of reference in 2011 and 2012 when you cashed in the money in the bank and you were the world champion and you were at times a second-rate flair or a second-rate Shawn Michaels. No, you go to Japan, you go to Ring of Honor, you can be a first-rate Dolph Ziggler. It's time, Nick Nemeth. It's time, bro. Join the revolution and subtweet part B, part D, Finn Balor. We got room for you too, bro. All right? To your credit, I don't think anything would be better for me than Dolph Ziggler versus Kenny Omega. Uh, that would be well, like, and you know, our buddy Dave Meltzer tweets this sometimes that like we don't know how like a, an American wrestler who's wrestled in this style his entire career translates to that style. But Dolph is so good that you do think he'd be able to make the transition and put on yeah. a fantastic match against almost anyone. And I will add that the idea of the revolution being the Rebel Alliance, which I guess would make Kenny Omega the Luke Skywalker in this instance. And Vince McMahon, like, blowing up Alderaan, like, blowing up WCW or blowing up Ring of Honor is 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 pretty hilarious. So, and I, kinda, I, kinda, honestly, and the way the way that you push it, Bri, kind of makes me want to do the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Like, I feel like I want to be an Imperial Stormtrooper just to shoot you down in this annoying talk. About the revolution. All right, this show is off the rails. Number three, SmackDown women's title match at Clash of Champions between Charlotte and Natalia. It has been changed to a lumberjack match. The Riot Squad brawled with the reforming welcoming committee out of nowhere. But didn't we just say the only thing worse than the Riot Squad is the welcoming committee? Well, they heard that, and they brought them back on WWE television. Anyway, that all went down on SmackDown. I don't even want to go into it anymore. BC, here are a zero for this. Oh, zero. Hashtag fail. And it's not hashtag fail because this trio, the Riot Squad, is so underwhelming, which is true. It's not hashtag fail because the damn welcoming committee is back. Are you kidding me? It's a fail because you know what we watched on SmackDown this week? Obscenely bad psychology. Every woman on the roster got camera time preaching how they deserve a shot at the title. They were in Daniel Bryan's face so much that he screamed at the top of his lungs comedically sort of over the top to get him away. 
And that might have re- been the best part of the whole show was the Daniel Bryan scream, to your point. And the reward? He goes, but you guys can be part of this lumberjack. And everyone popped like they were actually getting something. Are you kidding me? Your reward is that you get to stand outside and beat up whoever falls out of the ring, which you did already on SmackDown when the Riot Squad attacked the welcoming committee. This is such crap. They don't care. They can do. They can handle one female feud at a time, which is Adam, isn't that what Sasha Banks told the Stone Cold Steve Austin yeah, podcast this week? She said that she said the WWE books that the actual creative is creative for the women's champion and their feud. And that's it. This proved it right here. Are you kidding yeah. me? Like, get me out of this fail. Loser. Um, it's as if they sit in a room creative and they say, how can we make this Worse. as bad as possible? <laughs> and then they do it. And from that perspective, it's almost like I feel like Will Ferrell and Anchorman is Ron Burgundy when Baxter eats the wheel of cheese. I'm not even mad. It's amazing. Like, it's almost an achievement to put on segments that are this mind-numbingly stupid and this mind-numbingly bad. And, and, and there's so much wrong with it. The welcoming committee. Obviously, we spent tons of time discussing it. It's awful. Natalia is good in doses. She is not good enough to carry entire segments on the freaking microphone. It's bad. I disagree about the about Ruby Riot being underwhelming. I actually think that she's pretty good on the mic, and it's obvious that's why that she's the front woman of this group. Who's the other? It's Liv Morgan, and who's Sarah the other? Sarah Logan. Okay. Hillbilly Jill. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's comical how bad it is. They are both not ready. They're both clearly not ready, and it's like I don't even blame them. I blame the people that put them in that position. It's – I, I – <laughs> It's so bad that it almost defies logic and expectation. And like, I'm trying to draw like, like the, the handsome Nick, the New York Nick Bry, as you call it, when the, when the real vitriol and the real venom, the real bile is dispensed. I don't even care enough to do it. It's, it's, it's just, it's a waste of my time. It, it's brutal. It's awful. And there's no thought put into it. And the performers are being asked to do things that they're not capable of doing. Of course, it's a zero. In fact, if there were a number like, like, let's bring Da Vinci back. Uh, let's, let's reanimate Leonardo Da Vinci and have him and the great mathematicians of all time, Pascal and company and Pythagoras, come up with a number lower than zero. And that's what I would assign what we saw from the women on SmackDown. I think we're like two days away from Sarah Logan uh, wearing overalls, carrying a spittoon and just kind of. Talking about her, her pet squirrels. I think that's where we're going. Do you remember when she, she goes, have you ever hunted wild? Yeah. What the hell does that have to do with anything? And like, why? And like, like I say, like professional wrestling is designed to earn a reaction. Like you want the people to react. How are you expecting people to react by Sarah Logan putting herself over by saying she hunts for wild game? What type of reaction are you hoping to draw by saying that? Like you are sending this poor girl out there to fail and fail miserably. Come on. Okay, let's move on. Number four here in the lightning round edition of Hero or Zero, which is anything but. So along with the aforementioned editions, I'm going to go over them again. The December 17th Clash of Champions pay-per-view. It's a mess, guys. So let's talk the three matches that got totally screwed up on SmackDown. First, United States title. Dolph Ziggler is added, making it a triple threat match. They actually had a segment on SmackDown saying, why is this happening? With Bobby Roode and Baron Corbin questioning it. And Dolph Ziggler walks in and basically says, because... Then they have a tag team championship match that Shelton Benjamin and uh, Chad Gable earned, a one-on-one match. Rusev and Aiden English beat New Day. All of a sudden, both teams get added. It's a fatal four-way match. And then you have the women's match, which was one-on-one and is now a lumberjack match. On paper, guys, is this a pay-per-view that you want to see? Or is it potentially going to be, seriously now, the worst, not just the last, but the worst 
of 2017. Nick, here was I mean, it won't be the worst because some of the Jinder ones were really bad, and at least like AJ is going to be in the match with Jinder, so that match should be should be pretty decent. And I think the main event, like while it's stupid and nonsensical, like the main event will be pretty good from a wrestling perspective. So I don't think it'll be the worst from there. And this is where I think you can make the argument that all of these matches got better as a result of what we saw on SmackDown. And look, they're still bad and it's still stupid, but the U.S. title match is better because Dolph Ziggler's in it. The tag team title match is better because I love Aiden English and Rusev. You guys know that, and I think they're both good in the ring. I think they're funny. The New Day's terrific. The match should be pretty good. And now at least the women's match has got a little something to it. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but a little pizzazz at least with the lumberjack, a little something extra, a little je ne sais quoi added. That's completely wrong, but I could have probably went over the heads of everyone listening anyway. But shout out to our listeners. You're really great. You're all really intelligent. <laughs> but I think that all of this actually makes the card better and it's still brutal. And I'm calling it right now. You guys can do a pay-per-view recap if you want of this. But after a long day on NFL Sunday here at CBS Sports, I ain't doing a pay-per-view yeah. recap for Clash of the Champions. It ain't happening. No need to belabor this. This is bad. This is uh, look. They may have made the matches better. They don't. They didn't make me care about them. Why are there rematches that we don't need? We, by the way, we don't need Jinder AJ, and I know they're just trying to fill time until we get to Royal Rumble, but we certainly don't need Natalia Charlotte, especially when you have all these new faces. And when you just look at the pay-per-view they rolled out one year ago, TLC in December, Styles Ambrose in that TLC match, which was arguably the best match of the year with James Ellsworth interfering. You had Alexa Bliss winning the championship in a tables match over Becky Lynch. You had Corbin Kalisto in that great chairs match. You had The Miz beating Ziggler in the ladder match to end their great feud. And you had Orton and Bray Wyatt winning the tag titles over Slater and Rhino. That was a strong pay-per-view. On paper, this one's horrific. Okay, number five, Ronda Rousey. We've been talking about her potentially making a move to WWE. She released a promo video on Twitter for her new website, which shows her wrestling with Natalia and working out in the WWE Performance Center. This is the first time that she or WWE have really publicly acknowledged despite the obvious signs, of course, that she is training to work for them. So, BC, Hero Zero in the cryptic nature and the way in which this was actually announced or leaked, I guess we can call it. Uh, absolute zero. Like, how mad can you be about something like this? Not mad, because who cares? But Rousey going to WWE, which we all know is happening and all feel like it and have reason to be, shouldn't that be a giant announcement like on Raw or running in on a pay-per-view or some big secret reveal that would be great? But Rousey just leaks a random video that starts with her filming herself in some parking lot. Like, it just didn't make a lot of sense. And it felt like she gave away some key information there, like her working out at the PC. It just kind of felt underwhelming. Shouldn't we have gotten a lot more, Nick? Uh, yes. Um, let's just please fast forward to when and if Ronda Rousey actually comes to WWE because I'm tired of all these videos here. They're not doing it for me. We all know it's coming. You're teasing us here. Let's just get to the climax. I'm done with the foreplay. I want Ronda Rousey on my on my TV screen because at least she'd add some gravitas. By the way, that's the word I was looking for before, not Genesee Qua, gravitas. Um, to this women's division, and that is much needed. So we are done with the Hero or Zero, the slow storm edition, not the lightning round of Hero or Zero. And with that, let's slide into the DMs. And look, from our guy, Michael Sean. At whoa, Rebate. whoa, whoa. Yeah, but come on, you got to give respect there. Yeah, I screwed up. That's my fault. Um, Reeb82. Reeb, I'm sure you're a great guy. Thank you very much for listening. This could be the worst question we've ever been asked. <laughs> yes. Is it possible that the last WrestleMania was the retirement of just the Undertaker gimmick and not the retirement of Mark Calloway, the man? Could we see a return to the ring via his real name and a new gimmick? Uh, nope. <laughs> what are we going to get? A mean Mark Callis WCW callback with Paulie Dangerously on the microphone? Uh, no. Nick, your thoughts? 
I mean, I, I don't even know what to say about it. So let's just uh, let's just move on. And by move the on way, though, but well, one thing, would I like that better than a Roman Reigns rematch? Because every wrestling expert says if the Undertaker's coming back to Mania, the only match that makes sense is a Roman. Re- what are you kidding me? No. Yeah, I'd rather see Mean Mark Calloway than I would any form of uh, Taker versus Reigns, or really Taker at all, because I've said it before on other podcasts, this version of the Undertaker of the past three years is Patrick Ewing in a Seattle Supersonics jersey. It's over. And by the way, like, like what's going to happen, like, with this gimmick? Like, has he, is he Ponce de Leon? Has he found the fountain of youth? Like, is he going to become 30? He's freaking in his mid-50s. Like, oh, you know what we're going to do? Let's package Mark Calloway in a new gimmick at age 55. You know what he'll be? You know what his gimmick's going to be? The guy that can't move. They'll put him in a walker and have him stroll around the ring. That'll sure put asses in the seats. Next up, Antoine Hill at Twan721. He says, BC, buy or sell the Rock's clean wins at Mania over Hogan, Austin and Cena give him the second best mania win resume behind the undertaker. So I thought this question was interesting because normally when we compare mania resumes and I did that on CBS sports ahead of WrestleMania this year, you're talking about taker HBK Hogan right at the top. And it's a different sort of thing yet. Obviously HBK booking wise lost the majority of those great matches. If we're talking just kayfabe, Win quality, who has the second best resume behind 23 and 1 Undertaker? It gets very interesting. I think it really comes down to Hogan or Cena and not The Rock. Yes, The Rock has Hogan, Austin, and Cena, but Cena's beaten everyone across the board from Michaels, Triple H, you know, a prime JBL, the Edge, Batista, Rock himself. I mean, through Wyatt and Miz last year, unless you're going to give him that for quality of resume, then it's either him or it's Hogan. And I know Hogan's had some King Kong Bundy type opponents, but obviously that huge run through Andre the Giant, Randy Savage is really hard to contend with. Nick, your thoughts? Um, I think you nailed it. I think it's pretty clear that Rock has the second best because of those clean wins over Hogan, Austin, and Cena. So Antoine Hill, Whoa, I think this I, is a I just said he was fight. wrong and you said I nailed it. But yeah, yeah. I, I got to be honest. I, I got a, a text from a uh, work-related text that I was looking at. I just assumed that you agreed with me. So why? how, how did you disagree? I, here? By the way, you should have lied to the people and said that text was something something else, you know? No, because that, that I don't I care about work more than I care about women. Dirty little secret. It's actually the truth. Um, no, Rock is the answer to this question. Of course, Rock's the answer. Because Hogan, Austin, and Cena are arguably three of the names on the Mount Rushmore of WWE. Rock beat all of them. How could it be anyone but The Rock? It's a great point by Antoine Hill. Silver King, you want to settle it? Um, it's close. Uh, some of Hogan's win—I wouldn't, I wouldn't put Cena there. So for me, it's Hogan or Rock. Some of those Hogan wins don't do anything; they don't add to the resume for me. Uh, Yokozuna and, and the circumstances surrounding that. McMahon, uh, even Sid, which everyone I think what they wanted uh, Hogan Flair, and they and they didn't give us that after that after that Royal Rumble. So for me, I guess the, I would side with the Rock there. It's it's tough to argue. Getting he could not only he didn't just beat John Cena he got the first one over John Cena we didn't necessarily know there was going to be a second one beat Austin clean beat Hogan clean um, and there was never a rematch there so if you're looking at quality of win and um, frequency I think you have to go with the Rock yeah qual- okay quality wise you would then quality brings back in Steve Austin by the way with two wins over the Rock and Michaels in his prime and Scott Hall so it's a, it's an interesting debate we'll leave it at that and now our buddy Omar. 
how do we pronounce Omar's last Al name? Al-Rashid. Al-Rashid. I didn't want to butcher that because I love Omar. Great guy, great listener, has given us a lot of great stuff over the months. Omar, we appreciate you, even though my pronunciation skills are sometimes poor. Hero or Zero, Omar asks that an Enzo Amore, Nia Jax odd couple could work in the same vein as Eddie Guerrero in China and Santino Morella and Beth Phoenix. We could see Nia take out some cruiserweights. I'm going to take this first and give it a big resounding yes. I loved this on Monday night when Nia goes, how you doing to Enzo? And he's sort of looking like, what the hell just happened? I thought it was pretty good. That part was great, but Omar, our, our Australian friend, throwing in the idea of Nia squashing cruiserweights, that's brilliant. And you have to think that's something Vince, Vinnie Mac would pop giant for. Could you imagine, like, I don't know, Mustafa Ali moonsaulting and Nia catching him and running him through the barrier wall? This is just gold. Look, let me clean up this underjuice. This is fantastic. Yeah, you guys nailed it. I, I, Eddie Guerrero in China is really what I thought of. It's the first thing I thought of backstage. That moment was so good. It wasn't a feel spot moment because it was. It caught me so off guard that that it I couldn't put it in that category. But it would be great. And we talk about crossover in the cruiserweights and how little they do. You know what they do actually succeed in doing? Crossing over the cruiserweights with the women's division. And this is another example of that happening. So kudos to them for that. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Hey, let's not forget Vicky and Dolph. All right, thank you. Mitch matched odd couples. Thank you. Mickey and Dolph. And last one from our buddy, the Mitty brand at DMitty78. Shout out to Mitty. He says, do you guys think Scott Steiner will ever be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, either as a singles competitor or a tag team with brother Rick? Mitty also added Buff Bagwell as a tag team partner. Mitty, because we like you, we won't crush you. I know, he says, uh, Steiner was one of the guys you would have believed to have beaten Goldberg during his run. Great on the mic. One of the best heels during the Monday Night Wars. Mitty Brand thinks Steiner should be in, but his beef with Triple H in real life might hinder Scotty Steiner. Thoughts, gentlemen? Uh, Mitty out is what he closed with, trying to get himself over once yeah, again. I, yeah, I, I'm not. We put don't put him over. over. Yeah. Yeah, this guy, this Aussie. Uh, yeah. So here's the thing. Um, it's not that I don't appreciate what Scott Steiner did as a solo artist when he was obscenely juiced and and was just you know he r- really changed his gimmick yeah, from like like when he had baseball surgically implanted into his exactly <laughs> you know which was obviously such a far cry from the guy he was in his wcw prime in the tag team run i think those things he mentioned his big mouth so to speak will prevent him from getting in now at the age when most guys first get in but i do think he could be a subject to get in in like 15 to 20 years. I know that sounds kind of absurd, but think of how many... You're right, by the way. You nailed it. Every Hall of Fame class has a tag team, you know, a the Funk Brothers, although obviously Terry had a career separately that deserved it, right? Or the Briscoe Brothers. There's always that one sort of group that are 30, 40 years ago that get the love after the fact. You know, like Phil Rizzuto going in the Baseball Hall of Fame when he's in his 80s, right? It's sort of that type of thing. I do think the Steiner brothers will one day go in, and by the way, it would be deserving. There's no question. And look, I'm not comparing Scott Steiner to the Ultimate Warrior, but no one thought the Warrior would ever get into the Hall of Fame either. Time heals a lot of wounds, and ultimately it's about putting asses in the seats and making money, and Scott Steiner and Rick Steiner, or Scott as a solo act. And, Brian, I think you're right. If he goes in, it should be as the Steiner brothers. Steiner line! They should absolutely go into the Hall of Fame. Shout out to the Varsity Club as a faction, by the way. It's top shelf stuff. With, uh, with, with Mike Rotunda and company, of course, in, uh, in WCW um, back in the day. Now, I'll say this about Scott Steiner and a couple of things that Mitty wrote. First, Steiner had a disastrous run in WWE. 
that featured one of the worst matches in wrestling history, which was, we ever bring pay-per-view rewind back, which we should do at some point, we should do the Steiner Triple H match at the 2003 Royal Rumble, which in addition to being one of the worst matches ever wrestled, where Scott Steiner suplexed Triple H about 50 times, and not like in Brock Lesnar fashion, like in I'm out of shape and I was winded after one suplex fashion. He's huffing and puffing. The match is absolutely <laughs> atrocious. It also had one of the worst builds of all time. And I'm going to give a shout out to one of our listeners, uh, Gil Harrell, one of our great listeners of the show. He's a big Scott Steiner fan. And he always says to me, he says, handsome Nick, how funny was the pose down on Raw between Steiner and Triple H leading up to that match? You watch this. It was a comedy of errors. It's one of those things where you watch and say, how in the world could they have thought this was possibly a good idea. So that's worth noting about Steiner in WWE. Now, Steiner in WCW as a heel, pretty damn good. Very effective as, as, as a as a big-time heel. He was huge, obviously. The Steiner screwdriver was a great, extremely dangerous move that they would never let people do now. The Steiner recliner was pretty cool. When we say he was great on the mic, eh, I think we need to slow the roll. He had a great catchphrase, which was, of course, Big Papa Pump is your hookup. Holler if you hear me, which was really good. People would pop for it. But he was awful on the mic. And awful in almost a really good way because he would make you laugh, especially in TNA. I remember he had one promo that he cut in WCW when he was feuding with Ric Flair when he called Ric Flair a son of a bitch about 50 times in the span of two minutes. Mm -hmm. When he goes, you know what, Ric Flair? You're nothing but a son of a bitch, Flair. You're a son of a bitch. Flair, you know what you are? You're a son of a bitch. And I'm sitting there watching, like, is this guy serious? Is this roided up that he can't think of anything else to say? So um, that was my little mini rant about Scott Steiner. If we have nothing to add, we can move on into the fuel spots. Uh, Brian has nodded at me, and he's now let there be light. There is light in the Campbell residence. He finally flipped off the switch, and he's not in the uh, you know, the lava lamp anymore lighting up the Campbell estate. So let's hit the fuel spot. Brian Campbell, as always, we begin with you. One week after we, for the final time, it seemed, absolutely destroyed the Cruiserweights and said there's no more hope. Everybody out there, don't ever watch 205 Live. They have ruined it. I'll give WWE this credit. A couple of days after they somehow announced that there's going to be a 205 Live house show tour in the Northeast coming up, which scratches your head, they let them be cruiserweights that I mentioned on Monday night. And if you did watch 205 Live this week, uh, Drew Gulak and Enzo's place was absolutely phenomenal on the microphone. But the moment that hit me in the field spot was during that four-way match, that absurd springboard Spanish fly from the top rope that Mustafa Ali hit on Cedric Alexander, the same move that he hit huge during that cruiserweight classic, which is one of the biggest moments of that tournament. I know there's people that instantly tweeted at me, and Ange Gold, a lot of guys out there basically going, I hate moves that both guys need to be a part of it to make it work. Guys, it's wrestling, okay? And I'm not normally that Nick Costos guy who says, guys, it's fake, it's wrestling. But it is fake, and it is wrestling, and this move might be the most breathtaking move that is done in WWE. Alexander had a standing version earlier in that match Ali, on Ali, but the version Ali did off the top rope is just amazing. Yeah, that was insanely impressive. For me, it's two field spots, one match, and it happens to be the match that Handsome Nick skipped over and fast-forwarded on Raw. We all know, BC, that Finn Balor has... Hey, it's ah, wow. So this malfunction. Uh, soundboard malfunction. Uh, Brian Campbell does not have in that moment. Well, he, BC may not today, but Finn Balor does. And I liked that he got that squash over Bo Dallas because I think they may actually be building him back up for the Royal Rumble. But the real feel spot this week is Booker T. Booker T is my favorite announcer in WWE right now, even more so than Corey Graves. They say that NFL coaches, when they get their second opportunity to lead a team, they figure it out and they're so much better. That's what Booker T is doing in his run as an, as an announcer. And this is what happened Monday night on Raw. 
I've known Bo for many years. I've been in the ring with him. One of the hardest hitting superstars I've ever competed against. I have a scar above my right eye that I've had for years, thanks to Bo Dallas. Thank you, Bo. <laughs> <laughs> That's freaking like, and the timing of it is hilarious. And he says it in deadpan. So great job by Booker T. He really has been sensational on Monday Night Raw. Now, for my feel spot, I teased it a little earlier. SmackDown, and look, I could give you the whole Jason Jordan stuff, the Woken Matt Hardy. That's all obvious. I really like the Bludgeon Brothers. I like their theme song. I like their ring attire. I'm not a huge Eric Rowan fan. And even like, remember what I said the first time that the first match that they had where Rowan sort of, he's clunky in the ring. There was another instance where he was sort of bracing to pick a guy up before it happened instead of one fluid motion. But Harper's so good and they're being booked so well right now. I look forward to the Bludgeon Brothers on SmackDown each and every week. And even though I watch on DVR, I make sure to stop and enjoy so the stylistics in the ring of Eric Rowan and Luke Harper. And that does it for this week's edition of In This Corner, Pro Wrestling with the Brian Campbell. So for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, I am Handsome Nick Custos. Brian Campbell, two words to take us into next week. Goodbye and good night. Back. We out. <laughs>